excited to be here. I think you know, there's something I think churches in general struggle with. I think we do a good job at it here at this church. But one of the biggest barriers, I think, with church and people connecting is almost every person struggles with when you come to church, you look around at all these nice people, and it seems like, man, everybody has it together but you. Like, man, you've seen their little Instagram shots of so grateful for these few, and their family looks so perfect. And then you see these families. I mean, look around. Don't these people look so nice? They seem like they have it all together, and you feel like the one messed up one in a sea of people that have it all together. And that's a barrier for people to connect. I mean, I think we do a good job as much as you can at this church. I mean, we have the word messy tattooed to our building. And so hopefully you understand, man, it really is okay. It's okay to not be okay and to feel like, man, you don't have it all together. I wish just one Sunday we could have a liar, liar Sunday. If you remember that movie, right? Where people can't lie, can't be phony. They just say the most honest thing that comes to their mind. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, how many Sundays do you come in? Like, how are you doing? You know, and it's amazing how often you get good, you know, busy, Whew, busy, but good. You know, praise the Lord, brother. What if just one Sunday, we were just honest with each other? How you doing? Barely holding it together, you? <laughs> Speaking of barely holding together, you're talking about my marriage? Hey, grab a donut. <laughs> like, what if we could just be honest and just like, man, barely holding on. I, don't, I feel worthless. I've had about six donuts in redemption. They come in half, so technically 12. I've had 12 donuts this morning. <laughs> And wouldn't that be a little more interesting? And it's so hard to not feel like everybody has it all together and you're the messed up one and I'm excited for this passage. Remember that phrase we say growing up, man, keep it real. Paul shows us how we can be real with our struggles. And I want to learn from him this morning as we are in 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to be starting in verse 7. We're going to go through 15, so you can follow along in your own Bible or on the screen as I read. So let's dive into this passage and see what we can learn from Paul about being real. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul dives into the reality of his situation. So I think the flow of this passage is the reality, the reason, 
and the result. I don't kind of want to follow that flow, the reality, the reason, the result. Because Paul dives into his reality. He's been talking about the glory of the gospel, the message that he preaches, and now he switches kind of inward to the messenger. And he looks at kind of his life and his reality and compared to the message and kind of the famous illustration there's even a band, a Christian band got famous for jars of clay, right? That's where this comes from. If you ever heard that band, we are jars of clay. We are the vessels for God's message. And he kind of looks inward. And so we're going to look at the reality. You ready for the reality? I don't think you are because it's not very good. You know, the reality is, as Paul puts it, God is supremely powerful we are surprisingly pitiful. I don't know why people keep coming back to this church. Because <laughs> the reality is, you and me, we again, we can pretend, we can make it look on, on social media, but the reality of us as human beings is we are quite pathetic. I stand up here surprising myself how pathetic I can feel at times. I was so nervous somebody was going to amen that when I said it. (laughs) Preach it, brother. Amen. (laughs) That's what the illustration gets at. A jar of clay. We recently bought uh, new cups in our kitchen, and we quickly realized that my son used those to transport dirt and worms for our new cups. Like, oh, cool. You know what we did? We threw them out. They were plastic cups. They were literally 25-cent cups. When you hear jars of clay, it can be missed on this. That's what he's talking about. In their culture, that was what was quintessentially fragile and weak. Paul's saying, the message is amazing. Me as the messenger, I'm a jar of clay. I am weak and fragile. And most of them, when we we do kind of archaeological digs, you almost never see a full one because they're so fragile. You get shards and you see pieces of it. Paul says, and me... As a messenger, I am weak and fragile. I am a jar of clay, and I've been through the ringer. See, Paul is defending his ministry. you got to remember kind of what's going on. People are attacking Paul. And part of the ways they attacked him, they said, look at his life. Look how weak he is. Look how messed up his life is going. How can that be God's anointed servant when he has been through so much and he is so damaged and he just embraces it? He doesn't reject that. And that's a logical kind of reflex that we have, right? When things aren't going your way, when things are really hard for you, we can reflexively think, surely God is not for me. If God was for me, this bad stuff wouldn't happen. Paul doesn't argue that way. Paul doesn't see his suffering as proof that God is against him. In fact, he sees it the exact opposite. I love the way George Guthrie, a commentator, says it. The suffering that Paul experiences as a normal course in his ministry, rather than invalidating his work, serves as another mark of authenticity, for he follows the pattern of his crucified Lord. How many of us, when we suffer, we're shocked? Man, what is going on? How can God do this to me? 
Paul wasn't surprised. Paul expected it. Just as Jesus suffered, Paul assumed that he would suffer as well. And for Paul, suffering was authenticating, not invalidating. Is that how you see suffering in your life? Now, of course, hardships. I get to ask myself, okay, is there a sin? Is this because of a sin in my life that my life's going poorly? But man, when we search ourselves, that's not always the case. Paul knew he was in a spiritual battle and he was going to suffer. And he saw that as authenticating, not invalidating. So as Paul talks about his suffering, I think there's two things that he gives us. As you process your hardship and suffering, I hope you give yourself permission and perspective. I think both are in play here. Give yourself first permission to struggle permission to suffer and for things to be hard. For Paul was normative. Did you see how Paul identified? Paul, again, how you doing? He didn't say, oh, busy, but good, you know, but busy, but good. What did Paul, how did he identify? Paul, how are you doing? I'm afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. I feel like I have the aroma of death all about me. Well, how do you really feel, Paul? That is how Paul identified. Paul was feeling it. Paul struggled. Maybe you were raised in a church where you weren't given permission to struggle through your faith. That you just had to have, you know, nice, pithy, cheesy phrases that you slapped on everything and you had to act like you had had it all together. I'm sorry if that was your upbringing because Paul, the apostle, struggled and wrestled. One of my favorite ones is when he talked about being perplexed. I like the word baffled because I don't use that word much. Paul was baffled. Paul knew the Bible better than we do. You know, I know that because he wrote it. Paul experienced like in the flesh Jesus and Paul, whose faith was stronger than my, mine is, his theology is better than mine is, and Paul was baffled at times. God, how can you be doing this? What is going on? You ever feel baffled in your life? You ever look around, God, how in the world could this be happening? What is going on? This doesn't make sense. If you've ever felt that, you're in good company. Paul felt that as well. Paul was perplexed. Paul suffered. Paul struggled. That was normative for him. Paul, this is kind of how I get the vibe of where Paul's at in this situation. I saw a video pop up. I saw this thing, slap fighting. I haven't watched it. And so if you ask me, I don't like watch the show or the contest, but if you're asking me if I watch the video, I'll plead the fifth. But if you do watch the video, it's a little bit funny. I mean, it is just guys that stand there and just slap each other. And the weirdest part is they do that, and then there's people standing all around because all of them just get like staggered after they get slapped. I think that's how Paul feels. It's like, man, he has got smacked in the face And he is just staggered. And do you feel that? You feel like life has just given you five across the face and you're like, gosh, that's okay. I want to give you permission 
to feel like life is hard because it is, and you're struggling, and you feel busted up, you feel weak and fragile, you should give yourself permission. Paul the apostle felt that, but I don't want to just stop there. I want you to give yourself permission, but give yourself perspective as well. See, in his perspective, part of it isn't just like, oh, it's not that bad. That's not where Paul goes with it. Paul had some serious issues. He kind of started the run through them. He'll give you the list later. Like we're talking shipwrecked, beaten almost to death. Like it is our pets, heads are falling off level struggle. I almost played the dumb and dumber clip. I was so close, right? No food, no money. Our pets' heads are falling off. Like that's where Paul's at. He is like, man, I've gone through the ringer. But he doesn't just sit in that. Remember how he described his struggles. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He gives us permission and gives us perspective. So my hope for us is that we have permission to deal with our struggles but not be defined by them. To acknowledge your hurt but not be engulfed by it and ultimately defined by it. Because my fear is, man, Paul had trauma before it was cool to have trauma. Like, Paul had capital T trauma, lower T trauma. Like, he had it. And I think it is good. We need to work through our trauma. But my fear is now that in culture, it can be celebrated. Now I can just be identified as a victim and I'm identified by my wound and trauma. Deal with it, but don't necessarily be defined by it. He puts it in perspective. Yes, it's hard. But man, it could be worse. It's not as hard as it could be. Each of these, he doesn't say opposites, if you noticed. Almost every comparison, he almost uses the same word, but to kind of the nth degree to the greatest extreme. He doesn't say, man, it's bad, but I'm good. He says, it's bad, but I'm hanging in there. And again, he plays off of both of these together. You know, struck down, but not destroyed. As you sit here today with all that you've been through to be able to say that, you know what? I've been knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. That's what he said. You know, I've been staggered, and maybe you went down to the mat. Maybe life has took you to your knees, but you're here. Okay? Don't throw in the towel. It's almost like the picture when a boxer gets knocked over, the ref comes over, grabs his gloves. He's staggered, but you okay. And that's where Paul's at. You know what? I've taken one tough by life, but I'm still standing. Right? And it's that perplexed but not driven to despair. And I kind of like this idea. He's like, look, I'm so confused, but I'm not crazy. I'm still hanging in there. And some of you are like, I feel a little touch crazy. Like I'm staring over the cliff of crazy. Like I feel real close to that. And it's going to feel that. Maybe you feel forsaken. You feel like you can't take it anymore. But the fact that you're here today, yes, you've been knocked down but you haven't been knocked out. I heard one commentator say it this way, and I feel like it had to be a black preacher because it feels like that. He's like, man, I am cracked, but intact. <laughs> Doesn't it feel like it got a little bit of that vibe, right? The, 
And why don't you say that next time when you see somebody in the lobby? How are you doing? Busy? Been good? You know, instead of saying that, why don't you say, you know what? I'm cracked, but I'm intact. I've been knocked down, but I haven't been knocked out. He gives us perspective. And one of the perspectives that you have to cling to, right, when he talks about it, persecuted but not forsaken, do you have that perspective? That, and again, these words play off each other. That you are hounded, that it's bad, but you're not abandoned. In that middle of that verse, did you remember the quotes? You know, I believe and so I spoke. That was actually quoting Psalm 116.10. And that is the psalmist saying how difficult it is, it is. But he knows God still hears him and God is still with him. I beg of you in the midst of your very real difficulties that you keep perspective that yes, it's bad, but you are not abandoned. That doesn't mean that God is not with you. Are you anchored by that glorious perspective? Yes, it's bad, but you are not abandoned by God. And he goes into ultimate perspective in that passage as well. Right? Like, what's worst case scenario? Paul's like, man, I'm still standing. They haven't taken me out yet. But guess what? Something's going to. We're all going to die. And remember, he talked about the resurrection. He talked about we will be raised up with you. And you know what? You have that perspective. Maybe whatever it is, I can't promise. Well, I can promise you're going to die. How about that? You know what? You're going to. But even the perspective, what's worst case scenario here? I don't make it. And I get to go be with Jesus. Last I checked, heaven's pretty good. I checked the Google reviews. Perfect score. Yelp, all of that. (laughs) Apparently, it's pretty awesome. Man, this is so hard. You know what? You're not out yet. And if this is the thing that takes you out, you're going to be raised up with him if you're a child of God. Are you buoyed by that? You give yourself permission that, yes, it's been hard, but you have perspective that he is with you. And ultimately, you are going to be raised up with him in glory. So that's the reality. we got to dive into the reason. So for Paul, the reality is he suffered, he struggles, he feels weak, life is hard. But you ever ask yourself, but why is that God's plan? Have you ever recommended to God like the lottery plan for your life? You know, the plan where you win the lottery? Like that sounds like a great plan. God, bless me, make me rich, I'll give you credit. And then when other people who want to be rich know they can do that through you. That sounds like a great plan. Why do we go the suffering route? What is the reason that God allows suffering in our weakness in our lives? The reality is you need to deal with our wounds but not be defined by them. But the, as much as that's so hard to wrap our heads around, That's one of the simplest things in the passage. It's emotionally difficult, but what is the reason God allows us to be so weak and suffer? He covered it right out of the gate. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Remember, he's drawing the distinction between the message and the messenger, and that needs to be a Grand Canyon of a divide. It is unbelievably crucial for all of us to see the distinction to know where our hope lies. Our hope is in no man. 
Our hope is not in the vessel. Our hope is not in any preacher. Our hope is in no person. It is in God. And so God intentionally throughout scripture uses weak vessels as us so as to not confuse the difference between the messenger and the message. Your hope, your only hope to go through this hard life you've been going through is God Almighty and experience him come into your life. If you put your hope in anything short of that, you are going to be completely disappointed and let down. We have to, God has to draw the distinction. I like this quote from another Bible scholar. Paul is not the powerhouse, but only the place where the power is exhibited. It is not the power inherent in the minister, but only in the word he bears, in which he bears immortal frailty that brings light and salvation. Again, you look around at other people, you ever look around and you see Christians, man, they're powerhouses. Man, they're these Christians that I don't have that. There is no such thing. Paul did not see himself as a powerhouse. He saw him as a frail jar of clay that points to God. Listen to me. There is no hope in Redemption Chapel per se. There's only hope in Jesus. And as faithfully as we point to him as the source, I think people will find hope in this place. But don't get to the place where you're impressed with a pastor, you're impressed with a church, and not impressed with God. The second I get impressed with myself, I need to quit. If you're like overly impressed with the pastors of this church, you might need to find another church because that's a dangerous place to be. And you can respect, you can honor, you can value, but don't ever be impressed with the messenger. Be impressed with the message. I remember being raised Catholic because as we talk about different vessels, I remember the Eucharist. And if you've ever taken kind of gone to communion at a Catholic mass, the Eucharist, the vessel is in this like, you know, Indiana Jones, like golden safe with golden doors. And it comes out this chalice, like a little John chalice, like, yeah, like, I mean, it is this amazing, beautiful thing. And I think we can miss, wait a minute, is it about the vessel? I remember being in a service and somebody, I think they like ran out of wine And they were just sobbing because you could tell all the hope was in that vessel. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in syringes. If there's medicine in that syringe, well, now you have hope. Don't ever get impressed. And how often do we do this now? We want to listen to flashy preachers. And we want to be impressed with these big churches, with all these resources. I get nervous as we get bigger because now we can impress people to look at all these resources. That can be so dangerous. Makes me respect guys like this even more. Some of you maybe know Tim Keller passed away this week. I mean, he probably as much as any pastor out there has impacted my life. I got one Tim Keller story when I was... At my Bible college, he was hosting a, a conference there. So we saw him around campus a lot. I happened to go in the cafeteria right as he was walking in. And so he got behind me right in line. And when we got up to like the food line, there was one tray left and I took it. It was kind of funny. And then I just turned around to Tim Keller and I was like, 
yeah, I can't wait to tell all my friends, like, I took the last lunch tray from Tim Keller. And he turned to me and he goes, you can tell all your friends I smacked you with the lunch tray if you want. And so I did that for the next 10 years. I said, Tim Keller assaulted me on it. I didn't say that. But true story. One of the things I respect about him, the things you hear so much is he was humble. I remember hearing him speak one of the first times and I was quite underwhelmed. He wasn't this flashy orator. He wasn't kind of so polished, but he was faithful. And people say that he was humble. And I respect guys like this more and more that aren't flashy, that we aren't so impressed with him. I mean, he was brilliant, make no mistake, but he was faithful and he was humble. I mean, it's beautiful. I want to go out like this. One of the, the final things he said of praying with his family, I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. One of the last things he said before he died, there's no di- downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. We can panic. Oh my gosh, Tim Keller's gone or what, what's going to happen in New York? As if any of our hope is in a man and in Tim Keller. Tim knows it more than anybody. There's no downside. It's not about people. We need to stop following people and put all our hope in him. And that's the reason God uses frail, messed up, weak people like you and me. So we know that our hope is ultimately in God alone. I want to be faithful, not flashy. So people put their hope in him and not in any man. So that's the reason. So people know their only hope is in God. But what is ultimately the result? That God uses frail jars of clay like us. And that's where the passage kind of lands. What is the result? For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We think, here's the lie we believe. Because I'm so frail and weak and so damaged, God can't use someone like me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The result of you being so frail and so busted, isn't that God can use you less. It is more and more. God's ability to use weak people does not decrease, it increases. That is God's kingdom and God's economy. You feel like God can't use you because of your weakness. Nothing could be further from the truth. I want to give you one more quote. Divine power does not manifest itself by making the believer powerful. Power does not drive out weakness. On the contrary, it only comes to its full strength in and through weakness. You should believe that guy. He's got four names. I fact-checked it. He had four names. You should trust him. God doesn't work despite your weakness. He works because of it. Because of it. God is more able to work through you because of your weakness and your hardship. Wrap your head around this. Your hardships don't hinder your ministry. They help it. Can you believe that today? 
that it's not about you. And because you feel so weak and frail, because of what has been done to you, God can use you more. I think we get confused with these two bins too much, and we mix up which one goes in which, right? I still struggle with this at times, even as an adult, like styrofoam. Wait, which one? Is that trash? Is that recycling? I think we mess up and we put the wrong things in the wrong spot, right? You look at all your brokenness. You look at coming from a broken home. You're so busted. Let's throw that in the trash. You look at your mental health. You look at your anxiety, whatever makes you feel weak. And you say, that is what makes me trash. Put it in there because God can't use me because I'm so broken. And we put it in the wrong bin. God looks at you and says, are you kidding me? I mean, I feel that. I mean, I feel that coming from a broken home, coming from dysfunction. Man, can God use somebody like me? Somebody asked me this. You know, I'm most looking forward to of getting time away. It's going to counseling because I still have so much messed up stuff bouncing around in here. You know what my fear was in going to counseling? I'm going to do more counseling as I'm getting time away. You know what my fear was? It wasn't the shame of it. It wasn't that. No kidding. I told this. I don't know where to start. Like there's so much stuff that you've been through. There's so much lies. I don't know which one's the big one. And then we can believe the lie. Man, how can God use somebody? I got too much that's got me busted up. God says, are you kidding me? You've put that in the wrong bin. That, gosh, I can use that. That thing that you think, he's like, that's gold to me. I can, you know what, I can use all of this. Stop thinking because you're too weak and frail. God can't use you. Nothing could be further from the truth. God says, if you'll let him, right? I believe and so I spoke. If you'll believe that God is still with you, that he hasn't abandoned you, and that he, that he can use your suffering. God can use all of that to a greater degree, to increase his glory, if we will surrender to that. But that is the price. Man, a lot of people, I want to go to Disney. I'm not willing to pay the, pri- pay the price of admission. It's too expensive. All of us want to see the resurrection power of God. You know what the price is? Price of admission to resurrection power? Death. To lean in and say, God, you can have all of it. You can even have my pain and suffering. If we're willing to believe that and to speak, God can use us in powerful ways because that is the gospel. Strength through weakness. The cross was weakness was death and God brought life. Would you believe that? And would you speak that hope from that place of brokenness? You bow your heads and pray with me. <sighs> Father, I want all of us to believe that. God, I want to believe that. But I think we need to be honest. That is hard to believe. That you are with us. 
that you haven't abandoned us, that we're not trashed, unusable to you, but God, all of our suffering and hardships, the things that make us weak, you can bring about strength and power and life in the midst of our death and decay. God, help us to believe that, to trust that and ask, God, that you would use jars of clay like us. In Jesus' name, amen.